everybody. We're back. And uh, yeah, it's Comicals episode 116. So uh, we've been missing for a while. Um, and that is because primarily my fault, because I decided I was going to take a break from absolutely everything, <laughs> um, including my job, <laughs> my day job. So I had two weeks, I had two weeks off from like absolutely everything. And I just wanted a break from absolutely everything. And just, just to, just to exist for a while, you know, without having to think too hard about things. So that's what I was doing. I mean, it's not, it's not like I, I begrudge thinking too hard about comics or anything anyway, because that's, that's all I do anyway on a daily basis. This is my fun, but it's <laughs> just oxygen. like, I just, yeah, yeah, this is my oxygen, but I just wanted like a break, if that makes sense. So I, I needed to. Mars? Um, if Mars is my living room with the curtain shut, then yeah. <laughs> I think it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. I didn't, honestly, right, I, I had two weeks off. Um, I was supposed to be going on holiday. I was supposed to be leaving the country and going to Hungary, but obviously with everything that's still going on, pandemic, yada, yada, travel is still very difficult. And um, they're only letting, at that point, it would have been very difficult for me to go to the country. So... Sophie went alone to visit her parents and I stayed here and had two weeks of um, leaving the house only to go to the little shop across the road, <laughs> basically, and not really doing much of anything else. Oh, I went to my mother's and I sorted out my Transformers collection. Um, basically, I've got a load of stuff that I, I used to collect Transformers pretty hardcore. I've got some at my house now in a cabinet behind me. Um, they look pretty sweet and they're the ones I'm keeping, but I've got some that I've just, they've been stored in my mother's attic for about 15 years and I've decided now has come the time for me to cash that in. So I'm looking, looking to sell this so collection. Far. Um, it's all sorted. Uh, I've cataloged it all. I've sorted it all. Um, conservative estimate. I reckon there's about, if you price it properly, there's about five grand's worth. Nice. Um, so yeah, hopefully I'm going to see some money out of it. I don't know. I don't know how much I'll eventually get, but, um, I'm looking at, um, selling it and, uh, I've had some people in already to have a look at it. I've had a guy from the Leicester vintage toy shop to have a look. Um, so I might be able to negotiate a price from him. Obviously selling to dealers i'm realistic about the fact i'm not going to get it anywhere near to what the street value of said transformers are <laughs> but like you know i might be able to get like a, a a decent amount from him i mean it comes down to the fact basically it, it, as with everything can you be bothered to sit there and list it all on ebay and do all the you know bitting and bobbing from the post office and everything else i guess mm. and how much is that worth to you because and i mean also... i could yeah I was just going to say, and also, at least with like people like that guy and other people in in that sort of area, you know, it's going to a better home. It's going to a good home. Like, it's not going to someone who's just going to hold on to it for another twenty years to try and sell for more money. Exactly. I mean, if it was it, if it was one or two objects, I I would be listing them on eBay. But it's not one or two objects, Leon. <laughs> 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 it's like one or two hundred objects <laughs> so yeah this is the easy way to get rid of them i mean obviously if you're interested in transformers and you want to buy a job lot collection um 
why don't you just get in touch with Ace Comicals and I can tell you what I have. And uh, if you are, in fact, interested, uh, drop us a line and um, we can possibly come to some sort of agreement. It will be something where you'll either have to arrange um, like a courier or a, um, you might even have to come and collect it. But obviously, that's something that obviously, if you're interested, we'll, we'll come to some sort of agreement. Are you going to pop the uh, picks up on the IG? Um, I general will, ones. I I will get round to photographing it all and putting the pics on the IG. Yes, possibly. But um, I have a list of everything I have, and uh, it's all neatly catalogued with what it is, what condition it's in, and if there's parts missing, it tells you exactly what's missing. So, yeah, uh, go fig. But yeah, that's um, if you want. If you're interested, get in touch because <laughs> they're there. Um, mostly Beast Wars and modern stuff. So nothing nothing ancient, ancient. It's like uh, sort of like 2001-ish Beast Wars, that kind of stuff. Um, I have a couple of um, Generation 1 pieces in there, um, but most of my G1 stuff staying with me because that's the stuff I love the most. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's been where that's where I've been for the past however long. Um, but I have been also devouring comics on the sly and I'm back with, we have like a massive, massive list of stuff here, which, well, massive, I say seven comics to discuss, but that's big for us. Cause I don't, I don't think we've done like a, a seven book episode for a long time. Have we? No, 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 no. It's been a yeah. while. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Leon, anything, anything you want to mention up top where you've been for the past <laughs> two weeks? Uh, well, or longer than that, actually. It's about a month, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Well, I've also been, uh, I haven't been sorting out Transformers or anything. But I've been watching a load of stuff. Um, but um, I'll save us diving into that for like a future episode because there's a bunch of like comics adjacent movies and stuff. Um, and there's going to be more like towards the end of this week. So next episode, I'll just do a big unload at the beginning of the episode of all the different things whether it be black yeah. widow the suicide squad uh the the final evangelion movie and and everything in between oh yeah i'm gonna be going and watching that on friday final evangelion film not in a cinema <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> i'm gonna be going and watching it um so yeah uh, i guess we should dive directly into the comics um, which is the reason you're all here. So, yeah, I mean, there's been like a, a fair few new releases and things going around. Uh, we've got some previews for you today as well. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start up top with That Texas Blood, which is a comic we've talked about before on here. It's a crime comic set in Texas. Um, and uh, it, it's a crime comic with a distant difference. Like the first ish, the first kind of arc was like a crime western and it kind of uh, what we're getting is we're getting like a um, you've got this sheriff who's kind of at the end of his career. He's getting ready to retire. Um, he's he's an old man now. Um, <clears throat> and the book kind of deals with how he has dealt with things through the years, his career as sheriff and kind of the impact that some of the horrifying things that have happened throughout his career have had on him um and how that plays out and how he kind of 
deals with that and and goes day to day and and just carries on and soldiers on through that i guess is kind of like the main through line of the book like the the horrifying awful things that he has to deal with and and the things that come with being the sheriff of the town that he's the sheriff of um and in the second arc we get to dive a little bit into his past like the, the sort of like beginnings of his career and things um where we go back into the uh the early 80s 1981 so just out of the 70s and um we're talking cults and uh it's more of what you love um except this time it's got this kind of like cult through line to it and uh it's it dives a little bit more deeper into um the memories and the trauma thing the ptsd thing maybe from uh you know and and like possibly how he feels about the people that maybe he he wanted to save but couldn't save and things like that um we've got like scenes in the book um where he he's um jo joseph this is the sheriff he's he's sitting there at his desk um and he's pulled out some old files and he's been there all night and he's just fallen asleep at his desk and these old files are, are from this cult case which obviously had a real impact on him um the um like the murders and everything else it was like a really horrific case um and he basically we're just we're just learning about how this had like such an impact on him and how it was dealt with back then and and, and things like that back in the early 80s and it's it's more of what you love it's more of the great beautiful artwork that comes with this comic um the really really awesome character writing as well and the way they get across like the emotion and things like that in in these characters and the way that the way that these characters are written um this this stoic sheriff who you know he's very um He's like a rock, isn't he? Because you you just finished reading the first arc before we're recording this now, haven't you? You've caught up. Leon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is. He's like a, he's like a bit of he's like a, a lump of rock. Yeah, he um, kind of reminds me, and I think this is the whole milieu of this first arc has that feeling of. It kind of reminds me of the Coen Brothers movie No Country for Old Men, and specifically Tommy Lee Jones's character as this um, sheriff. Or uh, from a from a different era, really, and he's viewing the world changing before him and doesn't really know how to how to deal with it. And I, I get a lot of shades of him in 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 the show here. Yeah, there is there is a lot of that, and you, you kind of get a lot more of that in um, uh, <clears throat> a lot more of that in season two or the second arc. I don't like calling them seasons because they're comics. It's the second yeah. arc. <laughs> that's that's the thing that kind of like is rubbing me up the wrong way at the minute. When when people are like, oh, it's it's season two of a comic. No, it's not season two. It's the second arc. These are <laughs> comics, not a TV show. Ah, but that's I, I guess I'm just you know old fashioned like that. But yeah, I mean it's um, it, it it's a great story and yeah, diving into cults and things like this true crime thing. Uh, these crime stories and things are, are things that kind of draw me in anyway. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts about cults mm. and stuff like that. And I get really into that stuff. So um, this is like 100% like my alley, like spread it on my toast. <laughs> I, I want, I want more of it, but yeah, so that's uh, that Texas blood seven and eight. Um, your credits for that um, are 
well, I mean, it's the same creative team as the first ones, really, isn't it? Um, you've got um, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. So that's your writer and artist uh, with a variant cover by Tony Stella for um, number eight. Um, and yeah, I just just cannot get enough of this book. Such a great crime comic. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, check it out. If you haven't read the first arc, catch up on it. It's uh, It should be out as a trade now, I think. Um, and, uh, I mean, if not, it's all, I've been buying it digitally. If not, it's all available as single issues. Um, and then you can move into books seven and eight and get into this, uh, this sort of like, um, early eighties cult story, which is something that really does kind of like draw me in and interest me this kind of, that, that mood and that age Mm. and, and the, you know, the things that were going on then and the things that they reference and everything else, it's just, it's all about that. Yeah, I um, also have a big interest in, in cults and hearing that this uh, takes that, that step for this new arc um, makes it quite compelling for me to catch up. Yes. Um, on from there, I'm going to move into like the sort of like the first big one that I wanted to talk about, which you may have seen me sort of screaming about on Twitter. Um, and... I, this is a book called Barbaric and there's two issues of this available right now. And, uh, this is Barbaric, uh, published by Vault Comics. I should mention up top, by the way, um, that Texas blood in case you didn't already know it's published by image. Uh, but Barbaric is, is published by Vault Comics. And, um, how do I describe this book? So there's a necromancer, there's a barbarian with a curse, and there's a sentient ax that gets royally pissed up on blood. And I mean, like, drunk like convention drunk on blood it's hilarious um and the axe is clearly the best character in the whole thing um <laughs> but basically this so the, the the blurb is you've got this barbarian who's under a curse where he can only do the right thing um he's only allowed to do good or he'll basically he was he was about to die and uh, these witches they brought him back from the brink in issue one and they said that he can only do good so he's only allowed to do the right thing and the axe tells him who he can and can't kill um so he has to ask the axe if he's allowed to kill people <laughs> basically okay. is how this ends up going it's a comedy um it's it's like uh comedy fantasy um lots of high action uh it's 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 absolutely fantastic, yeah. And and this axe is is brilliant. It's like a skull face on an axe. If you look it up, it's great. Um, the art is just beautiful. There's fantastic clean lines in this. Um, it's this violent, head banging comedic fantasy. It's it's an absolute circle pit of unadulterated joy. Um, the art is just so crisp, and the character designs are just so wonderful. Like you've got you cannot fault anything about the way the characters are drawn and like some of the facial expressions and and some of the the antics and the things they get up to and just the way the world is like the world that they're in is just so metal like everything about it is just i think i think the whole thing was was written dialed up to 11 like this is the metal verse kind of thing and then this is where we are um 
Yeah, it's um, it's full of puns as well. Like, obviously, you know, blood drunk. Like, the axe gets drunk on blood and the bite of the axe. Like, the axe literally has a mouth. It's a skull and it drinks the blood of, of the, the bar, uh, of, of, like, um, the, the barbarian's enemies. It's, it's fantastic. Um, it's just, it's just super metal. And, like, I, I posted a one image review of it on Twitter, which is basically just a pair of disembodied devil fingers, devil horns, um, like zombie devil horns, glowing purple, but it's it's chock full of awesome visuals. There's some really cool scenes in it where there's magic used, and uh, this necromancer, um, she has uh, saw in her name is she has like magical powers that are tied to her tattoos. In the first issue, we see her get into a fight, and uh, it's like awesome dynamic artwork, like fantastic action scenes and she is manifesting weapons from her tattoos so her tattoos are tattoos of like shurikens and things or whatever and she is able to bring these tattoos to life and make them solid as weapons like that's her power like her whole body's covered in this so she is just like carrying weapons all the time it's it's perfect that's quite cool yeah it's such such an ingenious device i love it and i love like the, the smoky green like and and the way they they draw magic in this because that's that's always a really cool thing about fantasy comics. It's like the way that they animate and play with magic. So a, a magic is is key and central to a lot of fantasy stories. Like that's that's what makes fantasy fantasy sometimes, isn't it? The magic. Yeah, I, and, I would say if, if that's a, a very thick piece of uh, of fantasy. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like it it's beyond the medieval stylings and whatever. It's the magic. Like the magic is is the core event of the fantasy genre, I guess. But like the, and I'm probably you know stating the obvious, but like it's just the way that they they manifest it in this, and like some of the little magical devices and things in it, like the talking axe and and Soren's tattoos that she can turn into weapons, and the, you know, later on in issue two, the weird monks and oh. Yeah, just the whole thing is just is just start to finish, just fantastic. It's just an absolute ride. Um, it, it is some insanely fun fight sequences in it, and the whole thing is just an absolute blast. And you can read it, and you can you can have real fun with it. And um, I've got written here in my notes, thrash and burn, because uh, <laughs> I think I just started, just like I couldn't, I couldn't like. I was trying to make notes on it and I was just, it was more like my feelings coming out rather than notes on the actual comics itself. But it's just, there's necromancy, there's drink, there's gnarly violence. Like what more could you need from a comic? Um, oh, there's also some Kirby-esque alien tech towards the end of issue two. So it's like this big eldritch looking device, which is like a nod to Kirby in the way that it's illustrated. It's just, it's a beautiful book. It's made for you. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful book. It's, it's, um, it's you know an awesomely expressive book it's it's great fun to read and uh yeah i just want more of it i just want more of this kind of story where it's 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 got brevity and action and it's not doesn't take itself too seriously you know it's fun mm. it's it's got a real real line of fun in there that you just you want to you know, you, you want to carry on and, and, and carry on being there. It's it's like as as heavy as it is and as as angry and bloodthirsty as it is in places, it's it's still fun, you know? 
Um, but yeah, that is that is barbaric, and that is published by Vault Comics. Um, your creative team for that one, we have um, Michael Morici uh, is your writer. Your artist is Nathan Gooden. Uh, colors by Addison Duke and letters by Jim Campbell. So yeah, go check that one out. There's two issues of that available at the moment, and I fully recommend it. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, next on the list is one that we both read. And this one is one that we were afforded a review copy of, a preview, uh, was given to us by Avery Hill Publishing. And this is a book called Lights, Planets, People, um, which is by Molly Naylor and Lizzie Stewart. Now, this is based on a stage play. So this was adapted from something that was meant for theatre into a graphic novel, uh, which is interesting. Um, cause usually we get things that go from graphic novel to, to film. Um, and I can only imagine that this is like a really compelling stage show as well, because if, if the, the stage show is anything like the graphic novel, then yeah. But, um, yeah, this is a, this is an amazing, um, amazing little book about, um, that's, themes in here like uh, well this is about mental health it's about um standing up to yourself um expressing who you are and um about facing up to you know who you are and, and, and coming to terms with who you are and overcoming um you know the the over overcoming mental illness, things related to or overcoming hurdles related to mental illness, uh, like anxiety and depression related to bipolar disorder. Um, you know, like like facing the world and, and facing up to yourself, I guess. Um, and uh, what we have here is we have like a, a story where it switches between narratives. So we've got um, we've got this woman, the main character. Um, and she is a celebrated, um, astronomer and she has worked on a project, um, a project that failed, um, but it didn't, it didn't necessarily fail. It, it just didn't, um, would we call it a failure? I don't know. Would we call it a failure, Leon? I think generally termed a failure but what 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 generally happened is that they lost communication with, yeah so yes yeah, yeah so there was a probe it was sent up and they lost communication with the probe but we obviously we start the book not knowing that because we we go we, we sort of like flick between um this woman's time in a therapy session and her time giving a speech to um inspire some sort of like bright talented young women into going into astronomy as a field or to sciences as a field i suppose um like these uh, like she's part of a series of talks um by inspire by inspiring women basically yeah. for these but, uh, women. Her, her name is maggie hill maggie hill yes yeah that's the name of the character so this is all entirely fictional by the way as well um which is 
which is you know like a, a, it it feels so real doesn't it yeah, it feels it, like it could be it someone's legit someone's feels story yeah like a biography it does it does it actually feels like a biography which is which is like i guess the the draw of it and why it is so compelling because it does feel like a biography even though you know it's a fictional tale um and yeah it's just this has this like gorgeously expressive art um i mean the cover of this book for starters like these beautiful illustrations uh const like the light constellations in the night sky like you've got this sea of blue and purple hues and then you've got like these outlines uh, of white joining stars and and people uh people appearing and, and, and objects and things like that and it just it just looks so nice and lovely um it's just such a, such a wonderful cover to look at and then you open it and the artwork throughout the book continues on on theme basically with wonderfully expressive cartoon figures composed of fluid lines it's simple but it's really effective in communication because it's really effective in getting across um the emotions of these characters what they're going through um and the way that color is used to kind of inform moments in the book as well mm, yeah uh, it all goes towards that. Um, now, yeah, so it does switch between these narratives. Uh, we've got this auditorium with this talk about um, Maggie's work, and then we have a therapy session, uh, and it's all very beautiful and very human. And it's all a very real narrative about accepting failure and accepting yourself and opening up and, like, coming to terms with the fact that, you know, she is bipolar, and like it, it's not something that because i don't i don't know i get the impression that she is maybe ashamed of it which is why she didn't tell people about it in the beginning i don't know hmm. or if that's just um the way that she is because of the way that her mind works but uh, it's it's one of those things where like i mean i i go through it myself having suffered with depression and things that you would think like you, you sometimes you don't want people to know or you hide it from people and it kind of just makes things worse because you're just behaving in such a way that people might think you're just you know like being mean but you're not yeah it becomes just... like a self um fulfilling prophecy yeah or a self-preservation technique in ways well yeah but it's, yeah it's like the way it's presented here is quite naturalistic and very real and it, it is a very real thing where like even if you're someone who uh doesn't uh, fully suffer from uh like uh, mental health uh issues but um there's still very little understanding of all this and there are days where uh you could not have the mental energy for work but you couldn't call into work and say, I don't have the mental energy for it. You'd have to lie and said, you have a stomach ache. So then um, escalating up, up to people who are dealing with uh, various mental health issues, there's just such like a, a, a societal stigma against that where it, it just becomes, like you say, self-preservation, but also like um, automatic defense um, in general. And especially Maggie Hill is like a middle-aged woman. She's, uh, she's been working in this field for like over over 25 years and so when she was coming up as a younger person like mental health stigmas were even worse than they are now so it is very realistic and organic feeling 
uh, expression of like hesitance mm. to express um, like your your mental health. And and that is also compounded by the fact that when she came up through her career, as we're told in the story, um, it wasn't a space that was um, welcoming welcoming to women. Yeah, mm. and that that kind of probably compounds things and makes things worse but it, it it is a beautiful beautiful story and i love the way the story flows and i love the narrative and i love the way it ends it's it 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 ends on a really high note for me actually like like there's it's optimistic the story itself is ultimately optimistic and we get this light breaking through the crowds uh, clouds even crowds clouds yeah um and it's just very meditative meditative uh yeah, yeah, i can't i can't even say that meditative. word anymore. <laughs> yeah it's I've, I've had a long day <laughs> yeah meditate is really meditative and, and serene and even in the most tumultuous portions it's it, it just it just feels like 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 a river flowing to its its inevitable conclusion as in you know the delta where it meets the ocean or whatever mm. um I and I think that's because of the art and how the story is communicated. Um, and it really is a beautiful, beautiful graphic novel. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, um, yeah, I mean, you got anything to add to that, Leon? Cause that's, that's yeah, just, yeah. Um, yeah. so like in, in how it does all the things that you say, um, like I, I, I think this is a, a book where in terms of plot, you can't really spoil, but I still don't want to go into mega specifics. Mm. But there are some really cool ways that the form is used to to express different ideals and, and, and just different states of mind. And I really like how in the sessions with the therapist, uh, it's the way lettering is used is really cool, where the yeah. uh, therapist's um like lettering is all cursive and maggie's is all capital letters and in a very much in in a sort of note style where it's, yeah it feels like it could be in her journal or something and i really like that it, it just adds such a nice um i guess i used it before but like naturalistic it, it feels mm. very very real you everything feels of the universe of the book everything feels yeah um diegetic and that's, that's what i really like about it and like how when you go back to sort of the the big chunk of the of it which is her giving maggie giving the uh her lecture um and having to like sort of think on the fly because of because of some issues um the way that's done it's so like it, i don't know it just it, it the the prose there is all done and it's cleaner than the 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 text in the therapy sessions and i i really like how it how it bounces between that and as you mentioned before like coloring the the, the technique used here looks really cool because it has this like this green texture in it which sort of reminds me of like like coloring in pencils or in like, um yeah i was gonna say like colored pencil or chalk yeah 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 and like so there's like quite a nice grain there and because um often in the frames we use like a, a few a few shades a few colors it 
um, oftentimes you'll have like a block of a color and a character on top and that stuff is handled really well and then on top of that you've got an extra layer where in general especially in like say memories or flashbacks there's a cool thing where there's shading done to sort of show how light is is passing through an environment and on top of that there's an extra like use of color in terms of clothing um and then on top of that um it almost feels like monochrome but with color and i know that sounds silly but the characters faces in general are like not colored in and there's such like a simplicity simplicity to that that i don't know in, in a way for me it enhances the expressions that the characters have and mm. helps them say more than their text box say um and like even though this is a book which is for the most part like voiceover and being dictated by a person even then it doesn't feel too didactic it it doesn't feel like the person is just saying what we see instead especially like earlier on you're dealing with like an unreliable narrator situation and the way that is conveyed in the book is, is so so nice so that later on when you do get these flashes of, of like actual color and like texture and like like skin tones it it it, I don't know, it jumps off the page at you because, and and they're used in specific sections and it, it like the, the striking colour will like sort of punch you in the face and yeah. it's always during like quite highly emotive memories and yeah, the way it's done just works really well for me and as well as yeah. the uh, what, I, what I'll call like flights of fancy, which are when we get like a really cool metaphorical visual mm. going along with something that she um that that maggie's saying I, every time that's yeah. used is really good i'll spoil one of them which is there's a really good one involving a memory of her being young and getting into the uh astronomy field oh and, i love that page yeah. yeah when she goes to the the bathroom because yeah uh, there's only like uh, a men's bathroom and it kind of reminds me of the the the, the the notion from the film hidden figures um which where like there's but um instead of it being in that movie instead of it being like men and women's it's it's uh whites and non-whites and in this she goes into there's only a men's bathroom and she goes into it and it's it's this great thing where the visual fully conveys this exposed feeling as she's surrounded by dudes and and, and sat on a toilet seat like and then like I th I think that the book does a lot with, without spelling it out to you um, so that as you go through, you really get pulled in and Maggie and the people that she interacts with never seem to be one note or two dimensional. They're mm. always seems to be contradictions as you get in life like we're, we're super contradictory people and we self-sabotage in all different types of ways and we convince ourselves of various lies um just to deal deal with stuff and in certain situations 
you, you're un, you just you don't want to return that phone call or you don't want to pick up that phone yeah and like all of that stuff is just so raw and real like it, it was i know I, I wouldn't say a cathartic read but i guess it is by the end but i mean going throughout i just felt like a, a, a really like nice solidarity with maggie yeah and yeah like the way how the like the aforementioned texture even that develops in different ways and like when mixed with the sort of metaphorical um like pages and panels that we get all of it just blends together and is never samey or boring mm. and like later on we get almost like a charcoal kind of like usage um which is like really evocative but yeah i mean i've got endless praise that i've got for this book it's 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 the type of book that really works well with me and as you say yeah uh the end just feels it feels really good when you get to the end and it's not even yeah. a big uh like bombshelly type thing it all feels like super organic and mm. it all comes together and it ne- it doesn't feel pat or it doesn't feel like and this is how you cure mental health. It's none of that. No, it, it, no. It's completely for me, uh, and speaking um, from my limited vantage point with, with some of these things, um, it feels very natural and yeah. very hard earned and real. Because she's just, it's like one hurdle, but you know there are other hurdles. Mm. But at least that's one hurdle, uh, and she's able to overcome it. And it's like a little victory, and it's great. Um, and. Like, I just, I wanted to go back to, like, some of the way, like, because you were talking about how, like, some of it's in full colour for happier moments and happier memories. Um, and, and some of the things that are a little bit more emotive and a little bit more, um, uh, how do I, important, I guess. But, but like, there's, there's another word for important that I was looking for. Um, some of the things that are pertinent and things like that are, are in full colour and are, you know, are expanded upon and like rendered more vividly and things like that and then we have um like moments where color is used to kind of like inform the emotion of the uh, inform what's happening in the panels but it's like an overall color um and and everything is in shades of that color yeah yeah and it's rather than it being in, in full color but then certain moments are in full color and then we have like this um the the composition of some of the pages as well like i especially love some of the again the therapy pages um and the way that they're composed with the the narrative and everything else in the narration and like the um the way that with the therapy pages as well like some of the figures and and and, and some of the pages they're just line work mm rather than being filled in almost like they're like it's like a little bit more like um i want to say technical but i don't think i mean technical as in like it, this is like a an examination type thing oh uh, i know this what is, you mean. Yeah. yeah this is like an examination of, of who you are and what you are and it's a little less filled in because what we're doing is we're, we're, we're bringing things we're, we're kind of like stripping layers back or something like that yeah. maybe yeah um and then obviously because that's that's kind of what happens like they kind of like they dig and dig and dig until they find the thing and then they tell you well that's it could be this you know um 
and like we've got moments when things are truly um truly like at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the the kind of curve and um we we're getting grays like no color at all like like grays like 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 a like a gray day at the ocean at the at the, at the if you were to go visit um the the coast and it was just like clouded and just you know overcast, raining yeah. and overcast and gray yeah and it's it's perfect it's absolutely perfect at, at really getting across that feeling and that emotion and and that feeling of not wanting to engage or not wanting to um to to be a part of anything or just to not just to, able just, to face it yeah not to be able to face it and just just to just to crave the oblivion of sleep yeah. basically is the way i can describe it but yeah and it's just it's it's gorgeous uh just gorgeous gorgeous book and yeah it i could go on forever about like, like some of the scenes in this book like some of the pages some of the uh the night sky scenes the nighttime scenes with with small glowing pools of light in the streets and you know uh but yeah i, I guess the the key message of the book seems the central theme is like it's about overcoming that hurdle. It's about finding strength, and it's it's it's, it's you know. I also think it's it's about sort of recontextualizing legacy and yes. um, uh, being able to sort of take a step back and viewing failure or like perceived failure um, mm. in, in different ways, and um, yeah. because like a big chunk is about. Uh, uh, anxiety over being able to inspire the youth, and, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And this this is a woman who is uh, she's like a decorated, celebrated like astronomer. Um, yeah, she she uh, sent a thing into space. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really hones in on how that stuff doesn't matter, and when you're at sort of not, not a prisoner, but when you're at the mercy of um your own brain that's that stuff doesn't matter and like the waiting yeah. goes completely out of balance and in the same way that she's a person who is reluctant to allow herself to be prejudged by her mental mm. illness and so yeah. keeps it to herself even in relationship it it's also i guess a manner of coping mm. self-preservation mm is the way that's what i was getting at when i was talking about it at the beginning it's like she's doing it to kind of like but but at the same time at the same time as it is doing this to kind of like you know protect herself she's yeah. also it, it, it's the same thing that's also um like bringing her down at the end of the day um and yeah, like you, like you were saying about like with with the anxiety thing. I think they really do nail the fact that you do sort of like regardless of what you've done or what you've achieved or or what you have reached. If something isn't, you know, if what if something goes wrong or or is perceived to have gone wrong, you will focus and obsess on that. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what else you've done or what else you've achieved. You will focus on the thing that that has gone wrong and you will obsess over the thing that has gone wrong. And that is going to be the thing that 
it, it ultimately almost becomes your undoing, I suppose, which is which is really really what this book nails. Um, because you do you start to you you, you, you really do start to just focus and obsess on things and uh, on the one thing, and and that that one thing then becomes a, the source of you know everything else and it, it becomes it will it, it grows and it becomes debilitating because you focus and obsess on it and then that's that's where we're at the point where the book begins i suppose but yeah mm -hmm. i mean it's a it is a great great book so yeah i mean that is lights planets people and that is by molly naylor and lizzie stewart um and uh, molly naylor is the writer she wrote the original play that this is based on it's a play of the same name um, and um, it has been adapted by the illustrator Lizzie Stewart to the graphic novel format, which uh, I, for one, am very happy about because I think it's gorgeous. Um, and uh, you can find that on Avery Hill Publishing. Um, you can uh, you can pre-order it now if you go to the Avery Hill website. I will include the link in the show notes. Um, it is going to be published on the 23rd of September in UK and uh 28th of september in the us um that is 16 pounds 99 or 22 dollars 95 american um and uh yeah if you want to you want to get in on what me and leon have just been discussing i i head over and pre-order it because it's uh it's going to be a hard cover and it's 120 pages and it is full color it's beautiful beautiful book uh it'd be a nice thing to have on your shelf that um and Maybe even, actually, um, I would go as far as saying something that if you struggle with some of these things yourself, some of the things and things that, that me and Leon have just been talking about, um, you might even find comfort in it if you were to buy it and read it or if you were to check it out. Because I feel like it's one of those um, one of those many books that could be useful in that way. Um I know there's a few, there's a few of that's this sort of thing, kind of like, um, I know that in the past I've, um, there was a book I, I read, I can't remember what it's called now, but there was a book I read in the past where, um, it's, it's about a black dog and it's, it's, it's depression and it's about how depression works. It's supposed to be, basically it's a book that's supposed, you're supposed to give to somebody who you are close to when you are suffering. So they know what you're going through. Um, and they know that even when you're, like not the best of people when you are, are spiky or whatever if you want I, I guess spiky is the best way to put it when you're in in a point where you're not horrible but you, you you're difficult to be around um and they're, they're supposed to read this book and then that, that that kind of is supposed to give them an eye into your mind kind of thing uh, and i wish i could really remember what the book is called but i feel like this in a way could be helpful to somebody suffering from the issues that are brought up in the book um, with, you know, anxiety, depression, bipolar. Um, it might be um, something that they could, they can read and, and they can find helpful in that way or find comforting in that way. Um, Cause I, I do think it's, I, I do think it could be useful in that way, but yeah. Um, and that is, uh, yeah, like Plan lights, planets, people, which I fully recommend you check out. So, yeah, we're very happy to have had an advanced preview of that. Thank you, Avery Hill. <laughs> um, next up on our list, 
um, we get to another one on Vault Comics, which is, this is something that comes from a very interesting place for me. Um, and this is one on the um, Vault Comics um, Nightfall line, uh, which is kind of like their horror imprint. Um, and this is a book called The Last Book You'll Ever Read. Um, and you're, I mean, where to start with this? Um, it's an interesting comment on nihilism and the current state of humanity as far as I'm concerned, or inhumanity as it were. So it taps into a very interesting space, um, of, you know, if you go back far enough, um, and I'm talking to the very, very root of like um, Judeo-Christian Islamic religion and, and where things come from, right? Um, stop me if you, you're struggling to follow this because I'm going to get really weird with it. But um, these uh, Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition uh, and the, the religions therefrom have a root in the beginnings of civilization in um in uh religions and beliefs of old mythologies of old sort of going back to i mean like some of the it's one of those things where things that appear as demons in one book were gods once upon a time for another people and things like that and it's one of those things where things get confused and lost and and added to and taken away from and I'm talking about um, things that sort of like grew up around uh, the Near East, that that kind of area of the world, uh, religions and cultures and things like that. And and some of the um, the stories that they like, like the story of um, you know like the the Epic of Gilgamesh, that kind of thing. Mm. I'm going back that far. Um, and myths and legends that predate Judeo-Christian Islamic religions, and this, they sort of get absorbed by they then sort of get absorbed by um, the kind of Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition and brought and themes and, and things like that get brought into it. And, and if you go back far enough, you'll find that things were less about good versus evil and more about order versus chaos. So when you go back far enough and you start to look at myths and legends and, and, you know, what are perceived as antagonists and protagonists and things like that. It's less, it's less good versus evil because I don't think the, the, th the things that we are, we are, um, the antagonists of said stories are necessarily always evil. I think it's, it's more order versus chaos. Um, and I think this book kind of taps into that on a level. And it's kind of like it, it carries that 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 kind of like um, symbolism anyway, because if you look at um, I'm going to probably talk a load of rubbish now and like you guys are probably going to tell me I'm completely wrong. But if you look at what, um, you know, like um, modern modern Satanism, how it's not Satanism in the worship of you know, Satan himself and things like that. We're not, we're not there to, we, we don't worship Satan. If you're a Satanist, you worship yourself. Yeah. So it's more about like, um, 
realization of yourself and and throwing off the shackles of organized religion and 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 like rebelling against organized it's like rebellion against organized religion by being the antithesis or opposite of organized religion mm. less about worshiping a dark lord and and you know adhering to the tenets of a dark tenets of a dark lord or whatever and more about fulfilling yourself as as a life form on earth and doing and you know loosing yourself from the shackles of organized religion and and doing it you know doing the things that you feel you, you want to do that, that that you you feel are good for you within reason obviously because yeah because it's, it's basically a thing of like yeah. not not letting yourself be restricted by yeah by exactly yeah and that that's that's kind of like the 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 layman way of putting it i guess um and I guess like um, what this does is it taps into that energy, like big style um, and does something very interesting with it. So, and even, even with the imagery with the satyr and things like that, like the satyr being um, related to hedonism and and like almost like a symbol of hedonism in in certain mythologies and things like that. Um, and it just kind of like it, this is, but this isn't just hedonism. This is like embracing the beast and leading to animalistic behavior and the downfall of society. So the premise here is this, this, um, Olivia Cade, who is the main character in the book, she's written a book and she, uh, believes she has tapped into and knows the truth about the human race uh, and society and um that her book is kind of like um it acts as a key that unlocks something in people when they read it um and the book is an international bestseller at the point this book at the point the story begins um and it, it, uh, as this is happening there are acts of violence and and like you know murder and things like that around the world all supposedly inspired by olivia's book um she wants to go on tour and her life's in danger so what does she do she hires a bodyguard but the only requirement is the bodyguard cannot read the book um and that's where we begin um and it walks a perfect line between psychological and supernatural. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Leon, and, and on the tirade of bullshit that just came out of my mouth? <laughs> no, no, I, I understand where you're going with that. It definitely does feel like elements of, like, say, modern Satanism that that, that ethos is in there. And it's like the book almost, I don't know, is like an intrusive thought generator. Where, yeah. it, as you say, it, it's a key that unlocks something in people, and um, suddenly they just let loose. Um, and then part of that wrinkle is that at book signings, Olivia's getting attacked, and that's why she she has the bodyguard. And um, I think that there's, I think there, like I want to see more, but I think there is like bigger commentary in here as well being made about several different things. Cause then you have like a conversation with these, uh, radio show hosts. Is that supposed to be Joe Rogan? 
It does. It does look a bit like, <laughs> him, doesn't it? Yeah. He's got a bit of a Joe Rogan going on. But like, um, they're, they're having like an interesting conversation about like uh, personal responsibility uh, versus like the book or media as a whole inciting people. And I think that going forward, there's going going to be a dialogue going on about that and and how a conversation between things like um, art being banned and stuff like that um, and say like music being banned because of like historically its relationship to I don't know like wasn't it Columbine where after Columbine happened and they went through the the the, the shooters uh, the murderers collections and and they found something like, something Marilyn Manson yeah yeah Marilyn yeah, yeah. And, and violent video games and blah 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 and I think that um it, it, an element of the story is definitely tapping tapping into that and how like how we as a society decide that stuff but also how it almost feels like how it's presented is like everyone sort of bursting at the seams. Like every, every like the way a modern society is, it's just got everybody primed. So as soon as like a little prick happens, everyone starts to like explode. And like I, I'm interested to see how they build out from here because it, it's, mm. it's definitely a. Uh, a wild opening but it, it has it has a premise that can go in a lot of different directions and, and it especially seems that like olivia maybe has made some deal with the devil and uh so to speak and um uh, uh, i think it's a novel idea to combine like not really like new in in terms of like combining like psychological or supernatural but i think that using these general ideas and um expressing them in this way it i think there's a lot of really cool commentary you can make with this mm. but like well at the same time making like quite a gnarly comic with like uh yeah it's like, gnarly <laughs> yeah some like really cool designed like characters and people and like really kinetic action uh, yeah. when it when it calls for it and uh lo- lots of uh, neck biting it's uh it's good stuff <laughs> yeah no i i i um see is it bad that i don't want there to be a supernatural element well i think that would i i think that would actually make it like cuz that's the harder route and i think that would make yeah. it more interesting yeah, I don't want there to be like I I kind of almost don't want there to be a supernatural element. I just want this to be like the prolif- the proliferation of ideas. Um and the 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 idea of what what is written in that book as a meme and the idea of it being so convincing that people just fall in with it. Um and like it it, it really does tap into like the, this like this animalistic behavior and the downfall of society like what could be more frightening than your own neighbor right and 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 what could be more powerful than words mm. 
Like, I don't, I mean, this is why I don't want there to be some kind of like cosmic horror involved. Or what. I mean, like, I've seen it described as cosmic horror in places, but I think something else is going on. I don't, I don't feel like this is cosmic horror. I feel like this is more, um, this is, this is something else. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just so, such a, such a cool premise. And I just really want to see where it goes. Yeah, and like, I think I think that that's a thing that like it will all be in the execution. So yeah, I think wh- whichever way it goes, it'll all be in the execution mm. and how it deals with the like the various metaphors that we've been discussing will will be in the execution. And I am hopeful that it does something interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I'm looking forward to the world being built out because um, currently there's not really a character that I'm connected mm. with. Um, and and we, uh, obviously, like Olivia's like the, the the lead, um, but we don't really we spend time with like randoms as well as the world sort of being built out, and um, so at the moment I don't really have an attachment to Olivia really, so yeah. um, and like it, it, in a way as well, I'm sort of viewing a slightly as an as a as an antihero maybe. Mm. or possible villain but um i am like i'm looking uh, uh, i i'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the story but also like for an opportunity for some character investment that i don't currently have yeah um and yeah i just i i just like this whole idea of because society is built on rules that are like western society at least um built on rules that are taken from the christian bible taken from the commandments more or less aren't they like the rules and the laws we live by come from like the the basic root of those comes from the bible comes from the commandments and the idea of just like the idea of these people shaking this off upon reading this book and shaking themselves free from that and that that being the collapse of society and everything else like this whole order versus chaos argument um anarchy versus government or whatever um but like i mean there's some really like fantastic action sequences and seriously cool panels um like i love like this nice graphic art and like it has character in abundance um as far as the the artwork goes and the way things are rendered and shown um like there, there really are some seriously cool panels. There's a great page in a bookshop at a signing. Um, it goes feral. <laughs> um, give it gives into the beast. Um, I mean, is this evolution? Are we apex predators, Leon? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And and like it, it's one of those things where. I mean, I've said this a few times this week now, and I'm going to say it again, but the most, the, 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 the thing that sets humans apart from other animals on this planet and the thing that, like, kind of makes it worse when things happen, when we do things, is the fact that we make a conscious choice most of the time. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, this book, like, it taps into a lot of these things and a lot of the things that I, I spend, th- uh, the, you know, days thinking about um like about how society works and everything else and things things i probably shouldn't think too hard about sometimes because of 
how my brain works. But yeah, uh, that is the last book you'll ever read. And that is uh, written by Cullen Bunn. Um, art is by Leila Lees. You've got uh, colors by Giada Machisto. And um, Jim Campbell is your letter on that one. Uh, and that is available on Vault Comics now. Go check it out. And another one. So now we're into um, kind of interesting one. But um, I don't think either of us have a lot to say about this. So this comes from, uh, this is Ed Pisker. And I think it was the strength of Ed Pisker's name alone that kind of like garnered the interest in this. Um, because, I mean, it does look cool. The artwork in there is fantastic. But like, what is it? <laughs> Uh, it's a book called Red Room, um, and uh, so it's called the Antisocial Network, Red Room. Um, and the premise is um, it's super angry, super dark, super violent, and it kind of, um, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm giving you, like, a, this is a warning, by the way. Like, if you are easily um, offended or put off by things, don't pick this book up because it really does go to places. Um, and I mean, like, really gnarly places like it's it's beyond beyond basically it's what it, it belongs to a subgenre of comics that um i kind of have i think this is a recent thing because i i've never heard outlaw comics mentioned until fairly recently myself as a as a genre i don't know who coined the term or where it came from but it's one thing that i've not come across for I've never really come across the term myself in in use until now, basically, until is I've it, started looking into Red Room. Yeah, because it has like the approved by the cartoonist kayfabe thing, is it a yeah. thing created by Pisca and his cartoonist her kayfabe channel? It it could be the cartoon it could be cartoonist kayfabe, it could be Pisca that, that coined the, the term. But when we talk about outlaw comics, um we're talking about a subgenre of comic books with from kind of like the late 80s early 90s and um well outside the lines um things that people comics that people mention comment that, that are comics that you may know um that are kind of like well-known examples of outlaw comics are things like the crow poison elves or faust um and they are particularly disturbingly violent um Kind of like a, a what you would call I, I I would I would categorize them as kind of like comic book video nasties. Um, sometimes and they're they're angry and they're seething and they're extreme, and they tend to be small press. Um, and it, it's like this subgenre that has been either identified or uh, I I think. I'm, I'm assuming, I, I will assume that Cartoonist Kayfabe coined the term, hit me up if I'm wrong. Um, but I think it might have been Ed Pisca that coined the term because he's he uses it on the cover of the book. Um, but yeah, the, the whole point is that they are disturbingly violent, video nasty-esque video nasty comics. That's, that is the, the point of the outlaw comic is to go to the extreme and exist outside the lines. Um and uh they usually fall into a style artwork wise as well which um we have here with red room which is kind of like this uh heavy detail grays and blacks a lot of ink on the page a lot of uh a lot of 
um scuzz and crust as i call it you know like the uh like little bits and little details um and yeah it's a it's a nasty book <laughs> it's the easiest way to put it um it is a disturbingly violent splatterpunk video nasty is that that's that's my kind of like my way of describing it and uh it is a particularly violent hard video nasty um leon so i think you probably got a, you might have something to say yeah i mean i think it follows on well from uh, the last book you'll ever read in terms of it also deals with people who um in a different way when they sort of shake off the shackles of like society and morality and express themselves in a way generally forbidden mm. and it 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 deals with like sort of this sort of dark underbelly because I, I think what, what part of the main premise is is that they're what are these called red rooms and they're basically twitch tv but for degeneracy and um when I say degeneracy, I mean like uh, mutilation and and murder on on camera by the snuff, dark web. Snuff videos, basically. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's like snuff, yeah. but it almost feels like a step further than snuff as well. Live live snuff shows, but live torture snuff shows. Yeah, and yeah. on top of that, like it's on the dark web. So, in the same way that you can um, on various different campsites and, and Twitch and stuff, you can donate money and give gifts, and here you can like. Uh, can give like bitcoin and it's this whole network uh on the dark web of people watching these uh these uh gruesome streams and it's like it almost has this this air of like people people got bored of porn so this is like the next <laughs> step like, people got desensitized and, and like they had to look, look for the next step and th this like walks the walks the line between dealing with people on the outside of this, dealing with tragedy um, and dealing with sort of like the crappy state of the world and um, trying to understand your place in it all and understand why weird, horrible, random things happening. And also this oddly very business look at how you'd run um, like your own snuff streaming site and how you recruit new talent and how you deal with the competition, how you try and um, make your stream better than theirs and finding out like what's what they're doing that you're not doing and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very frank and matter of fact with that. And it has answers for so many things. And I think it, 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 it's Ed Pisker sort of looking into the future a bit in a running man type way and saying mm. and thinking like what what would happen if if these red rooms actually existed yeah and and like how would it affect the people involved but also how would it affect society as a whole where it's like it it, it like because in in here it's not is not presented as a thing that say say red rooms exist now, which none of us have any idea if they do. Um, but like say they exist now, they're so like under the radar. But this thing, everyone is aware of red rooms. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it's highly illegal to to own any, any copies of it or anything. But um, 
this this is a world where like if if streaming was un you're unable to trace like geolock like streaming to its source and if like this process was just as simple as like a, a campsite where uh, you could watch people being mutilated and killed and and how that affects the psyche of society in general and it it seems to approach that idea from like several different vantage points like mm. like mentioned before and yeah in 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 that area it's like it is really it's it's like interesting but it's funny because it is like it is just like grotesque hyper violence for like yeah throughout the book and it it's um it's it's almost a thing of like uh mm. like in in this nearly everyone is tainted nearly everyone is scuzzy and involved in this to some degree and yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it, it 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 i know it it paints the picture of this of this world which which feels like 5 minutes into our future or something yeah and and all very realistic and how it yeah how like anyone could be sort of like pulled into it like if mm. basically if this is the new slightly risque porn like how how does society deal and recover from that i don't i don't want to know i don't <laughs> think about it man but yeah it's just it's it's like it has this like kind of like I mean, it does it, for for all its its violence and its gratuity. It, the violence is gratuitous. I will say again, it is OTT aggressive and like it's um, it's strange, completely off the tracks. It's grimy. It is kind of like a punk rock stab at the current state of society in a little way, in the way that we are kind of like edging more and more towards having no kind of like um sense of morality or right and wrong and things like that and how people are becoming more and more detached from uh you know like the more and more less and less empathetic and more and more detached from each other and things like that mm. i suppose more and more detached from the suffering of others to the point where it becomes entertainment um and it's that whole thing of like you know um like like reality tv like a, a while ago, th this was a thing where people were taking reality TV to the extreme, weren't they? Yeah. And it's it's kind of like a similar line to that, really. Like a while ago, there was this whole thing where people were using horror to take reality TV to the extreme. Now they're using horror. In this case, it's this using horror to kind of like put like kind of like a, a, a an extreme spin on Twitch streaming and things because um, that's kind of like the future of entertainment, I guess. Um, and it is yeah it's definitely an outlaw comic <laughs> i i think that it's a very good pairing of like subject matter and artist yeah. because mm. like piska's art because he has that like hyperlined sort of high detail um style yeah it it works well across the the various different scenarios in here whether it's the grotesque side with the mutilations and murders and stuff like that, or whether it's just people's like expressions, people suffering, uh, or people in bad straits, like emotion and stuff is conveyed yeah. really well. Like one of the things yeah. I really always love about his art is uh, just 
character expressions, they're so good. Mm. And like throughout, there's just a, a myriad of yeah. of different <laughs> different ones from like sad, disgusted, grotesque to uh, cheerful to uh, screaming in pain. <laughs> yeah, to like sort of um, oh, what's the word? Like smug sneering, like you yeah. get in, in the cop bar. Um, it's like just a mix of, of, of these things. And like, I think it's no, um, it's no uh, coincidence that it's alluded to that the people running this, the, the, uh, the stream that we're focused on in this issue um, are like mega rich. And that the first people that we hang out with are like cops and they're the absolute worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it feels like it's it's no no um no accident that that yeah that, that it's that happened. way around yeah yeah and I mean I I found this a bit much <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think it's too I, gnarly I, for you Greg it's not it, it's well I, it was just too I mean like I I don't mind reading it and looking at it but i think i just found it too grimy too it was too dark and too close for me like i couldn't too impressive yeah yeah i couldn't i, I just cannot like I, there's a point where i i like i like gnarly stuff i like i like horror movies you know i like that kind of thing but there's a point where it ceases to be fun and i guess and, this has a like quite a a dark outlook and that might yeah. be it because yeah. the outlook is quite nihilistic and yeah. uh, sort of uh, soulless that might be what what pushes it over the fence for you yeah it kind of crosses the line a little bit for me and it's it's something where i i'm i, I is is technically it is a very well-made comic and uh, I love the artwork and I love everything else. And obviously your mileage may vary with this outlaw comics thing with these, these hyper violent, hyper dark books. Um, but I don't think this particular, I don't think red room particularly is for me. Um, you might enjoy it, but I'm going to obviously say, you know, warning for the extreme content, basically. And that's the thing. I think that yeah. each issue is self-contained. I think it's like, it is. It yeah, is. he's created this sort of world, and each uh, issue will focus on a different segment of that world. Yeah, yeah. So it's all self-contained, and um, I don't know how many this is going to run for, but um, there are currently three available right now, um, and uh, I think number four is due in September, September 15th. So... Yeah, I mean it's uh it's certainly an outlaw comic. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, it's uh it's um it's an interesting book and uh, if you are if you are into that sort of thing, if you enjoy video nasties, if you enjoy extreme gore and things like that, then this may be for you. I mean, I'm not I think I think it's one of those things where I read it once and although I I enjoyed it as a comic and technically enjoy, I, I just I don't think I would want to read the rest of it somehow I think I think it does it does go it does cross the line a little bit for me but that's me um, but yeah it's uh, it's a good comic otherwise as in it's a good technically made thing and I think I think you some of you out there may enjoy it and if it's your thing check it out um, 
so yeah, that is Red Room and that is entirely the work of Ed Pisker. Um, not a cheap book either, but it is like, you know, did you buy it physical or did you get it? I got it digital. Oh, okay, because I, I ended up with a, a physical copy of it because I was given it. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's it's a a thick magazine. <laughs> yeah, because it's like sixty-four yeah. pages, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like it's 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 thick and it's got like a really nice kind of like solid cover on it and everything. It's not a it's a, it's a well-made comic. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, that is Red Room. Um, check that out at your peril. Uh, the next one is, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> the next one is The Good Asian, uh, which um, this is another, uh, well, sorry, I should mention up top by city. The, uh, the Red Room is um, published by Fantagraphics. Um, and uh, we're on to The Good Asian and um, this is a, um, a detective noir story set in the 1930s. Um, and um, at the back of the first issue, uh, Porn Sack Picture Show, say, Porn Sack Picture Show says, um, if we like it, we should shout about it on social media. So we love it. Um, I love it, <laughs> at least. Um, Leon, do you want to take this one away? Yeah, yeah. So this is The Good Asian. It's written by Porn Sack Picture Choke. The art is done by... Alexandra Tefenki. The colours are done by Lee Luffridge. And lettering is done by Jeff Powell. 1930s era noir detective story. Uh, our lead is Edison Harp, who is a Chinese Hawaiian police detective, one of the first Asian cops in the country, who has come to San Francisco in search of a missing woman. And he's a sort of Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe type. He has an eye for detail. And the way that's often displayed in the book is it uses these like economical red squares where you can see him analysing, which I, which is a detail quite light. And he has an eye for the dames. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can handle himself in a dust-up and he has yeah. a wry wit and he's always thinking. Yeah. Being, being uh, one of the few uh, Asian-American cops, he's othered by the white cops, especially in San Francisco, where they don't have any. So there's constant slurs uh, flying, and he's treated as a sellout by his fellow Asian-Americans because why is he a cop? Like, there's no Asian-American cops. So it, it sets up this like this this world and this tone where um, he's, like, self-loathing but pragmatic, and as he investigates sort of the seedy underbelly, particularly like the segregated Chinatown, he is um, pulled into this this mystery and all the various different things going on around it, which intersect and interact with, with him and his, uh, his case. And it being set in the 1930s, the uh, Chinese Exclusion Act uh, casts a long shadow. And the way how the book opens, it describes his generation being like the first to have grown up fully under this immigration ban. And mm. the Chinese Exclusion Act, what it did is it banned, in the, in the wake of 
people at the time, particularly the white people in, in California, complaining that uh, Asian laborers were taking their jobs, um, the, the low paid work. This act was, was put into law, which banned the immigration of people from China. And like there were only a handful of exceptions, which were like students. Diplomats. Yeah, diplomats. Yeah. And like merchants, like people who weren't doing like labor work. But even to the degree, like very few like women. And it was mm. only people who were like directly related to, to a man who'd come in. The book starts on Angel Island. If you've heard of like Ellis Island on the East Coast, which is where immigrants from Europe came into North America, uh, Angel Island is where a lot of Asian immigrants, it was their way into to the US. And mm. obviously the living conditions there were like cramped and awful. And it was sort of like basically a, a prison. prison camp. Yeah. yeah, basically <laughs> a prison camp. And it, it starts there and this is where we meet Edison and the dichotomy of and sort of the complications of his identity already set up where normally you have to be super lucky to to get out of Angel Island and get to America and he's he's only able to to leave because yeah. he has uh, influential uh, friends slash family who can get him out of get 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 him out of that situation and already it sets up sort of the general premise. Yeah, I heard a lot of over the last couple of months I heard a lot about this this book with the release of the fourth issue I decided to 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 grab him because I thought like okay, everyone's talking about this and it like I like the idea of this and it kind of reminded me of Incognito which is yes, yeah. Yeah, about a black detective who can pass because he is um, fair-skinned uh, and he can pass as white which enables him to get into areas that a darker-skinned black person would not be able to to help him solve solve the case and it kind of gave me the same uh, sort of similar feel from the from like the general idea and some of the look and I, I believe like Incognito is saying the 20s I think but like it's that same sort of mm area of time just a different part of the country um yeah. and that's what sort of like uh, pulled me in and get getting there like um the book like didn't have to do a lot to compel me to get through these four issues um really quickly um yeah. like the the art it it really adapts the the noir mood of like smoke filled streets and hazy evenings uh in a really smart way often using say four to five key shades um in, in panels and in locations and it really gives it a striking heavy shadow heavy silhouette look which i really uh really like because it really fits like noir and obviously my experience mostly of noir is film noir mm. and i think it visually visually grabs um that i think that the uh, narration is handled really well, where, as we mentioned uh, as on, a, on a previous book before, it's not, it's it's that good style um, sort of narration where yeah. the person isn't showing you what you see or explaining some like... It's an internal monologue, but it's like... Yeah. A, yeah. And it's also, in, in ways, it, it shows like the flaws in the person who's giving it and... Mm. Um, we are getting an insight into 
uh, Edison and h- how he feels his his outlook and his sort of um, his reflection reflection on his own identity and, and where he stands. And yeah, I think all that stuff, like the, the those stylized color palettes, the uh, punchy and dramatic action, uh, the like it, the the general tone and atmosphere is really good as well, and mm. all the like. This is a noir book, so there's loads of interrogate well conversations. There's yeah. lots of instances of detective conversations and uh, trying to get um, trying to get clues, trying to get leads, trying to to find your missing person, and moving from one clue to the next clue, and all that stuff is handled really well. I think the mystery itself is quite compelling, and it does the thing that I like that mystery things do where when you're reading something and you think, Hmm, it feels like this person might be involved and Edison will say it. And like, he's not, the reader's not ahead of Edison in that way, which I really yeah. like because I hate in a mystery thing where something painfully obvious, like a question, a painfully obvious question hasn't been asked and you're waiting for the main character to, who's meant to be a detective to get there. And I like how, uh, different suspicions that you might have as a reader, he will also have, and he'll keep it in his pocket and and pull it out at the right time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but on top of that, I think that it's really evident, and this is before you get to the back matter, which we'll go, go into some detail, but it's really evident that a lot of research and love has gone into this, because everything about it feels very, uh, I'm going to say that word again, naturalistic. It feels so uh, uh, like time and uh, location yeah. appropriate, and this goes from all like the dialogue and the language, but also like the visuals and the locations, the the buildings used, the um, the like locations and buildings in the um, the the San Francisco Chinatown, like yeah. he, the the uh, Ponsac has actually researched and um, he's actually giving his artist visual references uh, for these buildings and things like that. And they're actually existing buildings in San Francisco Chinatown. Yeah. um, That he's used. And it just, it's just so painstaking amounts of historical accuracy here, which is the biggest draw for me because I love learning. And this comic has taught me things. It's taught me an awful lot of things um, about just the, you know, like, I mean, I knew, I knew that there was, um, I knew that there was there was uh, exclusion acts. I knew that was uh, there was laws and things like that 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 obviously were made made the environment hostile for for East Asians and things coming into coming into the US uh, on the West Coast because I knew that from um, the fact that the late just like late, this begins in the late nineteenth century with the gold rush um, because you'd have a lot of um, a lot of Chinese immigrants, a lot of East Asian immigrants coming to the US um, to find fortune because of the tales of the fact that there was gold there, which is, you know, people were mining gold on the, this is like the the, the gold rush. Um, and it, it, it kind of begins there really when, uh, when they start to get, they start to create this hostile environment. And uh, the point we're at is kind of like where it's kind of like culminated to the point where you've got, um angel island which is effectively a prison camp um 
where immigrants are held and held for inordinate amounts of time, asked ridiculously detailed and inane, meaningless questions about life uh, back home and things like that to try and prove that they're worthy of coming into the US. And when they do get into the US, they're not able to become citizens. Um, the only way to be a citizen is to be born on US soil. Uh, if you're Asian American, if you're East Asian, I think is, is, is what the, is that, is that right, Leon? At that point, uh, the only way to become a US citizen was to be born on US soil at that point. Yeah. Um, birthright citizenship. Yeah. 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 And it's just, it's just this horrible, hostile environment. And the way that the book is written and the way that the, the book is composed, uh, artistically as well, kind of really gets that hostile environment across, um, and everything, you know, the language is used, the slurs used, the, um, just the way that, um, our main character Edison navigates this environment and, and the way that people, the way that other characters react to him and the way that he reacts to, uh, certain situations and things like that. It's, it's like, he's, um, yeah, it's just everything about it. It's just, it, it's this hostile, seething, angry environment that he's in and, and all the kind of like impotent rage that comes with that, like not being able to do anything. And, and that's where the self-loathing comes from. The, the feeling powerless against it all kind of thing of how difficult it is to exist in that kind of oppressive environment. Mm. Um, you know, the lying, the telling people it's okay that, you know, it's just, it's, you know, in the general you, feeling of like betraying your own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the book gets that across perfectly. And, and like you were saying about the back matter, I love the back matter here. And I love, I love the, the little history. I love the history lesson mm. that this book has given me, and especially these past four issues. Like I, th I think it's so in depth. And so I think this book is doing something really important actually, um, in that regard. Because it is it is so in depth and so um, precise and so like so painstakingly researched that I, I think in it, in its historical accuracy it's actually it's actually doing something very important in educating people about this kind of like almost kind of like I don't want to say forgotten piece of history but this this piece of history that's kind of been left to the wayside. Yeah, but it's also a history that isn't even in the US widely taught. And yeah, it, it like like with the title itself and all the various contradictions, it plays into like that lack of information plays into sort of the model minority yeah. stereotype, and then that gets us to where we are today with like uh, like the uh, stop Asian hate uh, yes stuff with yeah. the increased um attacks on on asian americans like it's all like like a connected line but yeah if, when you don't uh like look into the history or if you're not taught the history you have no idea you have no like, yeah and it's it's almost the same thing as what we came up against you know when we were talking about um watchmen last year hmm. and uh we were talking about um tulsa in the 1920s yeah. And how that is like a kind of like a forgotten piece of American history that never gets taught or, or is taught in a way that it isn't fully explained or explored. Yeah. 
and and it's it's kind of like on a similar it's a similar it's a similar similar level to that yeah it really is yeah um and it's um yeah, I, I just think I think this this these first four issues. I want I want the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like sticking with the back matter for a second. Like I think yeah. that stuff is is so is so good because like I've got like when it comes to things like the Chinese Exclusion Act and general American history, I have got a like a not a pretty good but like a general good one just because like, it's a thing it's an area that I'm interested in. Yeah. But, like. Um, like for instance, on the the issue three one, like it goes into detail of like Im- immigration history in total, all from like the naturalization naturalization act of like seventeen ninety going forward, all the way to um, the uh, Mexican uh, repatriation, which happened just before this comic starts. Like it really does like lay out uh, the it gives context basically and a backdrop mm. to everything that leads to where this story is. Because I think that even with how the book sets up what's going on, I think it does enough, but also like also giving this extra history, but having it outside of the text is, I think it's really helpful to have the context where you don't have to always bog down the book with like giving a history lesson, but instead you can... Uh, you, you can like use the, the the back matter to add uh like inform and to 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 give people who don't understand an idea of what things were like in that period i think that is a thing that uh i think uh, like readers benefit from that a lot and i think it's really good use usage and i think from the four first issues like that stuff's been used really well and i do really like the the ongoing thing of like um the variant cover artist always being like a, an asian american artist um including like people that we know like like jen bartell who did the one for for number three um i think that it's um a cool highlight because the issue four um artist is someone who's never done comics before and i think it just creates a spotlight um in a cool way because you can often have that thing of like invisibility where people say like oh i don't know any insert person uh, artists or blah blah or writers and it's like you, you you one you've probably just not been exposed but it doesn't mean they don't exist and on top of that it's like there's you can do a bit of work and mm. like seek out some of these things. And I like how this book, it's sort of bringing it there, but at yeah. the same time, it's doing the thing that I really like where it's a book completely about like identity and like, and like being Asian and Asian American, but that's not solely what it is. It, it's a very good noir gumshoe detective story. Yeah. Very uh, good to welcome shoot detective. Yeah, story. and yeah. I think that like that's like a, a good key for me when like genre works are really good genre works, and they also are giving you your vegetables as well. I think like mm. that that mix is really good because because no one, even people who are really interested in the thing, want a, want to be like preached at or anything like that. Um, and like works like this. And say like uh, an example I 
give from a different uh, medium would be like the Jordan Peele film Get Out. Like they are giving you your vegetables, um, but it's it it's within like this caramel uh, like coating of like yeah. good genre work, and I think that goes like a long way. Yeah, and. Yeah, I mean, like, just back to technically that the book is a comic itself anyway, like with the, um, the some of the artwork and some of the page layouts. Um, like, there really is some, some fantastic work here, like, um, and, and even in the narration, like it does, it does the thing that you want noir detectives to do. Like, it, it does that, you know, where he's like, and on cue my type saunters right on by you know like it has that whole <laughs> yeah, kind of like yeah. yeah you can hear the saxophones like um and it's just there's that, that those pages in fact actually i love those pages where he's there and then those two women walk past and then that page is one of the layouts i was talking about where he's talking, like my type's got me into yeah. tr the trouble my type's got me into and it's just like the the way that that page is laid out and the way that the um I, I love the panel layouts and the yeah, panel the, work there the and inserts how it like, of yeah. like what's what he's seeing, what's in his mind, and what's weighing yeah. on his conscience. Like all of that, it it works like in concert. Yeah, yeah. I I really like um, the splash page of when he first enters the Jade Castle. Yeah, I think yeah. that is like super awesome. Uh, where it's like these different sort of circles of color and people uh, like d different forms of like, entertainment dance singing uh yeah. different types of shows like all of it, 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 it like it's an explosion and, and his whole you, thing is like what the fuck is this yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's yeah. brilliant because yeah. it, ha it has like the the ladies singing but then on top yeah. of it, it, it uh like you just have the different bits what the hell is this like is this? i love like yeah. this 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 whole like world this this whole sort of because it, it, it's bigger than this club like it's it's like people are like coming all over from the country to try and sing at this place um and for like the 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 women for, for a lot of them it's, it's a chance for them to like fully express themselves and to, to like use their talents and in a big way and i think that the place itself like like with the whole burke and edison and edison as well it's a place of contradictions and, and I really, really love how mm. it, it, it comes together in with the visuals where it's just yeah. like a splash page punching you in the eyes. And again, a detailed history lesson in the back of the book about the history of the, um, the, the Chinese entertainment circuit. Yeah. Like, you know, I just, I love all of it. Like it's fantastic. And this whole, um, just some of the action scenes in it and then some of the onomatopoeia as well like um like the shapes of the panels like some of the panels shaped like noise yeah yeah and, well, like, oh when my it's god like, yeah when like there's a bang bang uh, yeah like, vertical yeah like oh, and yeah. he's facing it like that that there's a lot of beautiful uses of, of uh um lettering yeah. like that i mean this this yeah i mean i i absolutely adore this book and i i want more of it because i I love what it's doing and where it's going. And I like a good gumshoe detective story anyway. Um, I love the artwork. I love the, the character designs and the way that the art is so clean and so, so economical in places, but then like at the same time, it, it, 
really does get its message across perfectly and we have some really good detail where detail is required and it's just oh yeah it's it's a gorgeous gorgeous book and you can almost i mean it's in color but you can almost imagine yourself watching it in black and white <laughs> it's it's that yeah. it's, it's got that kind of mood and i i love this um like the way that they've kind of like nailed the art deco thing like the yeah. whole book even the bits of the book where you can't see anything art deco it feels art deco yeah like, it's very arch yeah and it's almost you know what i like i'm gonna say it batman the animated series <laughs> i knew i knew i knew it was there i knew i knew it was on the tip of your tongue i knew it i could feel it and especially those covers like they look like episode, um, you know the episode flashcards. Yeah, cards. they yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, title cards. Yeah, I love it. They do. They look like title cards for for like I would be sitting in an old cinema somewhere and I'd be watching this noir movie, The Good Asian, and like all of a sudden, like the music just starts like, <laughs> you know, like 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 saxophones and stuff, and and this title card would flash up. And it would just be, you could hear like the for the projector in the background. But yeah, the whole thing's beautiful. Um, and it really does put me in that place. And now I'm going to go find some Detective Noir movies to watch because I've got to wait for the next issue because we've got four issues, but I need a fifth one. Um, and yeah, that is The Good Asian. And uh, Leon did give the credits up top, yeah. published by Image Comics please go and check it out because I th I really feel it is doing something important in educating people about um, the Chinese exclusion act and, and, and the kind of the hostile environment that um, the U S had created for East Asian people at that time. And it, it went beyond that. It extended on into the, uh, the seventies, didn't it? According well, yeah. To the time. And, and like, yeah. like, while uh, this is focused uh, prim primarily on like, um, uh, Chinese Americans just think like a couple of years after when this book is set is when the uh, Japanese internment happened during World War Two. So it's like yeah, it, it just yeah, it, it, it just was inhospitable, inhospitable for Asian Americans for to this day where obviously yeah. there's the whole um like it, it sort of like not uh the the otherness where someone's always Asian and not Asian American like uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think, uh, like I'm saying, like the book manages to be a period piece, but also for sad reasons, but also good writing reasons, is very much nails like the time we're yeah. in now. Exactly. Yeah, and and I I I feel it is a very important comic, very important piece of work, indeed. Um. Yeah. So the good Asian, um, pick it up. Uh, the last one on the list today that we have is a book called bomb scares um and this is bomb scares three so this is kind of like the third installment of bomb scares and what bomb scares is it is as an anthology title um published by time bomb comics which are a birmingham based um comics publisher um this is something that came across our inbox um i have a review copy of bomb scares three which is the Time Bomb Comics horror anthology. Bomb Scares is the horror anthology. Um, and it seems that they publish one of these every three years. Uh, the first one was 2015. Uh, Bomb Scares Volume 2 was 2018. And um, 
yeah, this year we're getting Bomb Scares 3, and this is set for release in October. Um, it's already made its money on Kickstarter, so it's already funded. Um, so anything that they get now goes towards stretch goals, but uh, if you back it, it's like pre-ordering it. So go check it out. Um, it'll be a 96-page um, anthology book that it basically it runs the length and breadth of different kinds of artist and writer. Um, it really is a, um, a a real tasting session of what is out there talent-wise and horror comics-wise. Um, so, yeah, anthology horror comic, channeling the spirit of the uh, EC horror books and the Warren horror magazines uh, via a Ouija board. It's the easiest way for me to put it because that's what it is. It's an homage to these uh, to these old school horror comics, to these uh, these old EC horror and Warren horror comics. The, these types of these horror comics that I've talked about previously on previous, you know, like the pre code stuff and everything else. You know, when I talk about those, yeah, it's, it's kind of like an homage to that stuff. Um, and it is everything that made these titles great. Um, it seems like this one uh, reaches through the loose ground of its shallow grave every three years, like I mentioned before. Um, and uh, yeah, um, it's weirdness, it's dark humor, it's horror, it's everything you want from this sort of anthology. Um, the art and the writing span such a wide range of talent. Always one of the selling points of an anthology, especially a horror anthology, because what you tend to get with um, th this kind of thing with a horror anthology is it's interesting to see what makes other people tick fear-wise. Because when you when you are, are, are reading or or, or like a horror anthology like this, you, you get to see kind of like what makes people tick fear wise from that kind of point of view. Um, and it's just like, um, it's, it's fun to see how other people perceive fear or perceive things or, or make things frightening. And, uh, yeah, it's, I, there is a, there are a number of stories in this book. Um, I mean, if I uh, there's 15 stories I think across the across the uh, the 96 pages here, uh, if I just get you a list of contents here, so you've got um, the book of Daniel, which is the first story in here, which is by uh, Niall Bushnell and John Robbins. You've got the Explorer and the Pig by Gary Crutchley, the Graven Hound, which is my favourite. It's my favorite part of the book. And that is by Christine Logan, Dennis Vermees, and uh, John Robbins. Uh, Wolf's Bane by Paul H. Birch and Roland Bird and Owen Watts. Uh, Pursuit of Perfection by Jim Alexander and David Morris. Jaws of Life, Jaws of Death by Gary T. Becks. Uh, Alan Alien by Andres Alves and John Robbins. Uh, Age of the Ageless by Mike Lynch, uh, John D. Williams and Dave Evans. The Tattoo by Marcelo Bondi, Fernando Genovese, and John Robbins. Onomatopoeic Onslaught, Paul H. Birch, and John Erasmus. Now, that one is really fun. Uh, After Ragnarok by Christine Logan and Anthony Summary. Uh, King of the Road by Paul H. Birch, Mats Engerstein, and John Robbins. Home is by the Sea. Uh, sorry, Home is the Sea by Gary Crutchley, Brett Burbage, and John Robbins. And uh, The Butcher's Lad by Henry de Carolyn, John Hegman, uh, Dave Evans, and then Swallow Me Whole by John Robbins. Um, yeah, cover artwork by Phil Winslade. Um, 
and yeah, it's just um, it's a great nod to everything that made EC and Warren great. Um, so I mean, like I just picked a, a few choice ones, like my favourites here, like the Book of Daniel. Um, it's like this. Uh, it, it's it's got this great like great artwork. It's like it, it's one of the key ones that I think one of the ones that I think is most interesting. It's dystopian post apocalyptic future. This strange, isolated, existential horror. This guy, this this one, this Daniel. This he's a machine, maybe. Um, leading, he's like the last hope of humanity, almost like a biblical um, messiah figure. World's ended and begun again, and he is kind of like leading humanity. And they look to him, and it's narrated in a way like it's almost out of the Bible, like a a biblical tale. Um, and it's lovely detailed black and white art, almost manga-like, actually, uh, very graphic. Um, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful tale. Uh, and it's it's, it's just a, a great little kind of like look into this kind of like existential kind of like the existential, like humanity being led and being... Um, saved by possibly the thing that destroy i don't know it's it's um it's interesting i don't want to talk too much about it because i'll end up spoiling the twist or if it, <laughs> things like that you know like because the whole thing with these 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 short horror stories is they they have like a a twist or or, or a hook or something and i, I just don't want to spoil it hmm. um my favorite one the graven hound is like an eldritch folk horror with uh, beautifully morbid and realistic pencil work that invokes 18th century etchings um, or even the work of the great Bernie Wrightson, actually, in places. Um, and it's a brilliant story. I love it. It's a true homage to classic horror comics. Um, and uh, I, I can I can say that about a few of the tales in here, that they the formulas they use, uh, the stories they tell, um, they really are like a true kind of like a mirror or a, a, a true kind of active um, uh, worship for these like old horror comics that we all enjoy so much. Um, it, it, like they go from seriously macabre and creepy to strange and tongue in cheek, weird, um, hilarious in places has like this really wicked sense of humor sometimes like some of the stories are really uh humorous and uh, really really dark sense of humor but it's still fun um in in a way that you know like in a way that um so here's the difference right so when we talked about red room we talk about like this hyper violent video nasty splatterpunk thing that it's just um it's over the top and it's too much and it's almost as if it is being that way for the sake of being that way. And it's almost as if um, that that what what puts me off from it is the fact that it kind of lacks a, a, a point almost sometimes. Like it's almost like they're doing it because they can do it. If you understand what I'm trying to say, I'm not saying that it, it, that makes it that it's a bad book because of that or anything like that. I'm just saying it, it gets to the point where they're almost doing it um, so they can do it. And there's no there's no point or. Yeah. Yeah, there's no point or there's no um, there's no sort of like anchor there. It's just it's just this is what it is, uh, and it's just angry and it's it's thrashy and but like there's a point where you can you can have gore and you can have ugly things in comics, but they and you can have horror in comics, but but it, it has like a an anchor and a point and a. a 
an ethos almost, I guess, if you understand what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, where I, there's some intentionality and some yeah, sort of, uh, yeah. some deeper point. Being yeah, and I think that's the difference for me, and I think that is what ultimately put me off Red Room versus other horror comics and things, because it, it is, at the end of the day, it is a horror comic. Um, but yeah, like... Um, this has like it, it goes from it there's a story in there called pursuit of perfection which is an interesting has an interesting layout it's like a device screen and it's a strange story that comments on the current state of society um the innate horror of social media and it's it's it this one has a real sense of humor this is the kind of like black mirror e type thing going on which i really like um pursuit of perfection for the world the perfect image and being driven to madness by the pursuit of the perfect image um the sheer breadth of ideas and talent here it's just it's amazing and i always love that about anthology comics that they manage to kind of like bring together these very disparate works um under a common a common roof and a common theme um and what's what's available here in this book is a very a very um very diverse um body of work and very diverse horror stories all different all some of them um you know like some of them like the classic style classic tongue-in-cheek um like weird kind of i want to say corny or cheesy but i don't know if, that, if people might perceive that as bad uh but a weird kind of like way but corny and cheesy in a fun way you know like these kind of like 50s it came from outer space type stuff that kind of yeah. thing Anything from there to some things that are to, to something like like pursuit of perfection, which is a comment on today's society, which I love as a piece of art. I think it's a great story, um, and we just have these kind of like very different ideas, and it's just a bit of everything, um, which is what I love about an anthology book because it's never you can you just go. It's just you get a lot of different. You get a lot of bang for your book because you get a lot of different things in one thing. It's like buying a sushi tasting set, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I love about it. But yeah, so this is this is a really great like um, a, a really great a really great book that that has a lot of different ideas and a lot of really cool ideas and a lot of really a, a real showcase of talent. And it will be a great treat for Halloween because it's out in October. So um, if what I've said um has tickled your fancy then uh get over to the kickstarter and pre-order it um you can also go over to the uh the time bomb comics website which i have included in the show notes and um there you can pick up the previous editions because they have them on sale in their shop uh so you can pick up uh, bomb scares one and two and check those out um but yeah there's a lot there's a lot to enjoy here and uh if you if you like your horror anthologies if you like your uh, your old school horror comics i fully recommend checking this out so that is bomb scared by a absolute various um blenderful of uh, <laughs> of talented people um and that is published by um time bomb comics and you should check that out um and yeah that concludes today's reviews i guess that's the end of this episode so uh, we're back and we're glad to be back. Um, that has been Ace Comicals episode 116. You can find us at Ace Comicals on Twitter. 
Uh, you can find us um, at www.acecomicals.com, which is the hub for everything that we do. Um, get involved with the conversation at us, DM us. Um, if we've said something that you don't like, you know, if we if we if we said something that that is inaccurate or whatever, then tell us. Um, I want to know when I'm doing something wrong. Um, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. And you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. So, yeah, um, that has been Ace Comicals 116. That's Ace Comicals over and out.